0: So we talked about the negative influence. We talked about some of the things going on in our world today. People are so mixed up when it comes to understanding relationship, understanding even, even understanding the way God created us, uh, male and female, right? We saw all of that. So I want to pick up with what Jesus says. And so today we're going to talk about marriage. Wedlock or deadlock. Okay, wedlock, what that means, and then deadlock. Um. Any of you've been married for very long, you're going to raise your hand if I ask you to and say we've had some of both. Okay? Okay, wait. Yeah, I didn't even ask you and you're raising your hands. See how true that is, everybody? Amen? It's true. Now, I want to turn to Mark chapter 10 because this comes up. It comes up. Now, uh, this whole idea of marriage and divorce and all of that. Uh, so let's pick up with Jesus, okay? Here is and we're going to go into chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, um, and verse 1. If you're ready, it says, talking about Jesus. And he left there, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond Jordan, and crowds gathered to him. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. So he goes down um, And he's in this area around the Jordan River and even goes beyond the Jordan, which would be on the other side. I take it on the east side of Jordan. And Jordan River, Um, there's me in the Jordan River a while back, right? Look at that. I've got the gown. We're doing the baptisms there. I mean, that's the Jordan River. And so it would have been like on the behind me there, back over in there. That's where it was. So I thought I'd throw that picture up there because, you know, with the way the sun was that day and this white gown they had us wear, it really makes my hair look white. And just, I just, I look far holier than what I actually am right there. There's no magic water there. The great thing about being a Christian is there may, be, there may be sacred places, but the truth is in Christ, everywhere you stand is holy ground. No place is really any holier than any other. So what I'm going to do is, here in a few weeks, we're still processing. We're going to try to get together and get some slides. And one of the Sunday nights, uh, when we get through the chosen Bible study here, coming up in a few weeks, uh, we'll probably just have some food on a Sunday night and show some pictures and talk about it a little bit and see how many more of you guys might want to do a trip like this. But anyway, so that was that. All right, back to this. But I was just showing you the Jordan, right? Right? That was actually standing right there in it, right? It was. Um... So, so this is where Jesus uh, was around that area. And it says in verse 2, And the Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? <sighs> there it is. Now, you got to understand something here. For the Pharisees, this was a very controversial subject for society at large. I mean, they're not able to gossip like we are today at the speed of light with our smartphones and Twitter and and, and, and gossip book whatever 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 you got. But it was the talk of the communities because they were arguing about it. there's two schools of thoughts among the Pharisees, but also John the Baptist has been making it known that this leader of theirs uh, that was appointed, Herod, and Herod had married his brother's wife and and all of this stuff and divorce. And, you know, John the Baptist ends up in jail, and then he ends up martyred because of it, right? So there's a big talk about this It's going on. You know, what happened to John the Baptist? Maybe they could get Jesus to say some stuff and get him in trouble. Or maybe he can just say some stuff to get him in, you know, where half the people get mad at him. Because among the Pharisees, I'm paused. We're still reading this text, all right, but we just hit the pause button here for some bonus content. Okay, so you know sometimes if you're watching, some of you'll have some pop up. You can get bonus content. Here it is, all right. So you need to know a little background if you're going to understand this. Among the Pharisees, you not. Pharisees aren't just Pharisees. They're divided into several schools of thought. There were some of them that followed Rabbi Hillel. And they were more liberal in their thinking, and they actually took the one little thing Moses, one tiny, tiny little thing Moses said about divorce, and they just made it huge. Where basically, are you listening to me? You need to understand the context. That that among even these legalistic Pharisees, they were very liberal on this, and that is is that a man could give his wife a certificate of divorce. Now she needed a certificate of divorce, so bless her heart, where she could get remarried, right? If she at least you know has that and prove that she's. Uh, But he could give her one and send her away for about any reason whatsoever. Some of the Jewish historians outside the Bible even write telling us that it would be anything as far as putting too much salt in the food or burning the bread. And you also need to understand that among the Jews, the woman had no rights whatsoever. That she had no say in it. That it was hard for her to leave a bad husband, but he would get rid of her. Now here's what happened with a lot of Pharisees. See, a lot of these Pharisees wanted to think that they were checking every box, that they were keeping the letter of the law on everything. They'd go through all the commandments not thinking they'd broken any of them, even when it came to adultery. Well, we're not adulterers. No, what they would do is if they saw another woman they wanted to get with, they'd just, get, they'd just send their wife away, and then they would uh, marry this woman. And so this is part of what's leading into Jesus' answer, is that that's what man's doing, that's not what God's doing, and God's not recognizing these marriages, and you're living in adultery. So basically, you are adulterers. You just think you found a legal loophole to make you think you're not. Do you see that? So you have that school of thought. And then you have those that followed Rabbi Shammai. And he was very like, basically, there's no reason whatsoever. And it was very, so you have one extreme this way, one extreme that way. And I think part of what the Pharisees were doing, and you can study this out uh, about the different schools of thought there. They were trying to get Jesus uh, involved in this argument. What the rabbis were saying and all of this stuff that's going on. There's controversy. Jesus doesn't buy into it. I look, Watch what Jesus does. So you ever notice when you ask him a question, he just answers with a question? Have you noticed that? So it says, Jesus answered them, verse 3. What did Moses command you? What was it? So he asked them a question. Well, they said, Moses allowed a man, this is coming from Deuteronomy. I'm not going to take the time to turn there and try to dissect that because the sermon would last probably longer than you want it to, but we can come back to it sometime, okay? So it says, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Get out of here. Kick her out. Moses allowed that. So that's their thinking on that, some truth to it, but we're not going to get into that right now, what Moses is actually talking about. But anyway, so verse 5, Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But let's go back further than Moses. Y'all want to argue about, did Moses mean this or did Moses mean that? Look what Jesus does. But from the beginning of creation, let's go back further than Moses, amen? And he quotes from Genesis 2. That it says, God made them, and here it is emphasized again. Did you notice how often in the creation story, this was emphasized of how God made human beings? How did God make them? From the dust of the earth, in his own image. He made them unique, but at every place, he emphasizes, here's how he made them, male and female. For thousands and thousands of years, we understood that was the basic building blocks until now. And, 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 and the sad thing is there's so many people that are growing up influenced by this That are genuinely going to have struggles with this and, and if you believe the Bible Then you need to believe that God made you the way he made you for a reason And I'm going to trust God with this, right? And God's going to guide me in this It's tough being a man, it's tough being a woman It's all tough but there are people that are looking for answers, and they're letting people tamper with their bodies and tamper with everything in their, in, in, within them. And, and, and they're not going to find the answers, and then they're going to end up with a high risk for all kinds of problems and cancer and who knows what else. But they're not going to find the satisfaction in the answers unless we just let God help us to become who he created us to be. But once again, I'm sorry I got off on that again because this is so tragic what's going on today. But he said, from the beginning of creation, God, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, now he quotes again, verse 7. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Then he ends with this. Here's what Jesus adds to it. This is what God does. Now you're talking about what y'all are doing and how we're going to interpret it, But here's what God does. Verse 9. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This is what you're doing. But this was God's intent. This is what God's doing. I love it. So he doesn't jump into their controversy. He doesn't jump into putting their sides of which rabbi are you following. He takes them right back to the very scriptures that they would know by heart. And what does it say? This is what God's doing. So don't let man tear down something God is for and that God is putting together. What God joins together, husband and wife, man and woman, male and female. By the way, that's the only marriage the Bible ever, ever alludes to. So in the past 10 years, we've de- redefined family. We've redefined marriage. We've redefined how many genders are there now? We, we, we're so confused. Right there's an you against evolution. If you believed in that, we're devolving. Oh, well. Back to the sermon, because he says, don't let man tear apart what God joins together. So, this is a powerful thing. This is a basic thing. Our churches are only going to be as strong as our families. Our communities are only going to be as strong as the families. Our nations are only going to be as strong as the families that make up the nation. This is why there's so much problem today, that you don't have a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, who have a different sets of gifts and abilities that they both bring and put together to go together to raise children in a responsible way, to prepare them to be responsible citizens and fit in with the rest of society and be productive. We don't have that. That's why it's breaking down there, and that's why so many things are, are a mess today. It, it traces right back to that. This is core. Uh, the core teaching, like I said, the very first institution of God. All right, so let's jump on in here further. you ready? So according to the Bible, here's what we can say. Point number one, are you ready? Show some life, folks. Come on. Are you ready? Marriage is a good thing. Not one single amen. Really? Come on. Marriage is a good thing. And we, you know, we're coming from a man's point of view, from Proverbs eighteen twenty two, where he says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Okay, young man. Amen. Wow. Oh, getting some points there, right? You find a good thing, and you get a blessing from God. Blessing. So marriage is a good thing. Amen. It's true. So many times the Bible presents truths intention. There are tension, tension, right? There's tension in there to help us to know all the truth and to learn and grow. So marriage is a good thing. But also, let's turn a couple of chapters ahead in Proverbs, and we find out, number two, marriage is a tough thing. Verse, uh, to, Proverbs 21, verse 9. Better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Hold your amens. You'd better live up on the roof than down in there with all that, you know, going on. (laughs) Uh, So what's the deal? Well, it's up to you then whether you're going to have blessed, holy wedlock, or lowly deadlock. Holy wedlock or lowly deadlock. Uh, So um, here's the problem. Too much false info. I know I've already covered this. We talked about it last week. And it's everywhere. Too much false information. What we've been told about life and relationships are lies. By the way, there are notes online. We didn't have them on there last week, but you can go find them. Um, the reasons that a lot of what we have been told either amounts to fairy tales or it just is, is lies. It just won't work. The only way that I'm going to get truth, the only way I'm going to get something that works about life and about relationship is the one who thought it all up. It's the one who created The one who designed it. Doesn't that make sense? And it's God. God's word, God's truth. Remember, that's one of the big things we talked about also last week. And the other thing that we know is that relationships all take work. You're going to get out of them what you put into them. For some reason that we get this idea that all we do is take, 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 take. We've got a dog and tick relationship. I mean a dog and tick, they, they stick, they, they're pretty tight. You know, they stick around pretty close. But I have a feeling the tick's only in the relationship for what he can get out of it. Right? I could go a lot more directions with that illustration. Ask me after church, okay? But there's a question do you act like a tick? Okay, I'll just say it that way. Huh. Anyway, uh, so it takes work, it's really about this. Is that we're both, we have to treat this as, as the most uh, in, incredible investment in our lives. And we both make deposits and we both make withdrawals at times, right? But we need to make sure that we're making more deposits than we are withdrawals or we go bankrupt. We both do. If one's making all the deposits and the other's making all the withdrawals, there's going to be problems. And, and if I'm always, there's going to be times that we need to, we're going to have withdrawals, right? And we're going to, we're going to but, but, but we need to make, I just want over the space of time to make more deposits than withdrawals. And, uh, and, and this, this investment requires constant attention. This whole ride off into the sunset, there's a Greek word for that. And it's bull, loaning. Baloney. That's what it is. You don't just ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. Takes work. It's some of the hardest work you'll ever do, but the greatest rewards you'll ever receive. Greatest gift God has given us. Because I want to tell you, they can make a poor person rich and satisfy us in ways that money never can. We know people, husband and wife, that have businesses and have houses And have vast amounts of real estate Have private jet Have all of these things But they're not content They're not happy They're not fulfilled And yet I also know some That have very, very little Have hardly anything But they are enjoying life And they are happy And they are fulfilled And they are full of joy And they are just living life to its fullest See, this is it this is what a lot of people are looking for to love and be loved and to share that relationship. And and and, and everybody has got the selfish idea about it, and it breaks down. And, and we don't put in the work. We don't fight through the problems. We don't, because we're gonna have to forgive each other. We're gonna have there's gonna be times you're gonna have to cut each other slack, you're gonna fail each other. This is all part of being intimate with each other and being real with each other. One of my favorite, one of my favorite verses on marriage. We got to go hear Mark Gunger. Remember that? Uh, and, and I would say learned a lot, but I guess I can truly say I've learned it until I really start applying all of it all the time, right? But I know about it, right? So, um, okay, I'm not sure how to interpret that, but let's move on. <laughs> not quite sure. Work to be done. Um, but remember this verse here? Remember this Proverbs 14, 4, which says, Without, This is a principle, that's true. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Now That's a true thing. Here's the point. Having an ox is good. If you have one, you're also going to have the messes that oxes make. Now, I was raised on a farm. Many of you were as well. You know how messy cattle can be. All right? So if you're going to have ox in the stall, you're going to have to clean up the ox poo. Right? going to have ox messes. If you don't want any messes, then you got to get rid of the ox. But the oxen is a great source of increase and in blessing because you're going to need it to have a harvest. So here's the situation. If you're going to have the benefits of an ox, you're going to have to deal with the messes of an ox. Let's apply that to other things. Marriage is a good thing. Source of the deepest of blessings. But with it come marriage messes. So, if you're going to have a marriage, you're going to have marriage poo. You're going to have to constantly keep cleaned up. Right? It's just the way it is, just like having an ox in a stable. That's one reason why Paul said during the persecution and the tough times they were going through during when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said it's good if a man never touches a woman or never marries. There's a reason why, because, you know, you're going to have to deal with it if you do. And then in verse 28 and 1 Corinthians 7, he says that those who get married, you know, are going to have troubles in life. He said, I want to spare you. So, in other words, if you're one of those that God has gifted or called to celibacy, then why in the world would you want to get married? But if you need to get married, get married, but you need to know You're going to have marriage messes. Uh, The alternative of being alone, if you're not supposed to be alone, is no cakewalk either, by the way. So unless you're gifted and called of God to the single life, which some are. But if you're not, you need to learn to put into practice, you're going to need this. You're going to need this. And we live in a world that everything you see about relationships, I mean, there is no more Ward and June Cleaver, right? Everything is drama And and nastiness and fighting. You just never even see it even modeled on TV or anywhere. And I know, you know, nobody's perfect and all that. But we don't even have, so so here's my point. Are you ready? Come back in here for a second. Is that most people growing up today have never seen any attempt at this at all. They've never seen it attempted I'm saying the majority of people. They've never seen it. They've not been raised by a mom and a dad. They've never seen it as a, they've never seen marriage as a positive thing or a good thing, because any marriage that they've ever seen in their own lives or in their lives surrounding them has been contentious and destructive and manip- 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 manipulative, there it is. And I knew I'd get it uh, and, and just bad. So it's no wonder they, they're where they are, right? But see, what God wants to do is break that cycle, and there's going to be a generation of people that's never seen love, they've never seen true marriage, they've never seen true relationship, they've never seen how it works, but they're going to learn it because they're so desperate. They're going to come to Christ, they're going to get His love. And so you're going to need Jesus' love if you're going to keep loving your spouse, because it's going to take that kind of love. It's got to be something supernatural, not just natural. And, but, but there's people that's going to. this is going to be a breakthrough, and it's going to start changing things in their family. Now, one good thing that I've noticed, and sometimes when this is true in a wedding, I will mention it, I'll ask a couple about it, and it was, it's true in, in my life, is that in our direct line, not around us, siblings and aunts and uncles and stuff like that, but in our direct line, as far back as we can trace, there are no divorces. There's a few mysterious deaths, but aren't there on both sides, but no divorces, uh, and, and so now, surrounding us, there's lots of them, right? But in the direct line, um, there's not. Uh, so that's quite a heritage, you know, that, that people who, who, you know, hung in there. So here's what, what begins to happen is that we need to understand that we are actually made for relationship. We are made for it. You might say, well, I don't need nobody. Well, that's bad grammar because that means you do need somebody. Double negative, get it? Okay, never mind We'll we'll try something different You think that you're a loner (laughs) But the truth is we're all, you know I mean, that's why solitary confinement is such a bad punishment Now some people might think that might sound good for a little while, right? How many of you moms go lock yourself in the bathroom just to get some alone time? Right? And then they're banging on the door, right? You can't go to the bathroom without the kids being almost like in there, right? Um, So, but solitary confinement as it goes on is one of the hardest punishments. People have actually gone crazy in solitary confinement. Even the church, the church is a place for fellowship. Body of Christ, we're made to be connected to others. God made us that way and depend and be accountable to each other. Heaven is pictured as a place of great, eternal, perfect fellowship, right? On the flip side, in the Bible, hell is pictured as a place, though crowded, of darkness and loneliness and solitary confinement. Now, because we've been given the wrong information and the wrong ideas about marriage, We tend to get focused on ourselves. We tend to have that problem with that self-nature and without Christ, whether we try to be a good person or not, we're selfish. We focus on self, which leads to a breakdown in all of this. The next thing we do, instead of trying to get myself right and me trying to do what's right and receive Christ's strength to know and to do what's right, here's what you'll start thinking. Things aren't right, and it can't be me. It's them. And then you'll begin to say, I married the wrong person. I just married the wrong person. Most of the time, the truth is, the wrong person might be you. I mean, we're thinking wrong, wrongly. Thinking wrongly and thus have the wrong attitude, have a wrong assessment of things, and as a result, have wrong behavior. What I need to do is get in a right relationship, and I've got to get into a right relationship with God before I can even get in a right relationship with myself and my spouse. So, what we've got to do is get right. It does come first. Then he will right my thinking. He will right my attitudes and my behavior, and then I might have a shot at getting right with others and my Spouse, okay. So it's not always you. I mean, I realize that there are some people that are in impossible situations, and even in dangerous situations. I realize that, but I'm just saying as a rule, I can't. And we always want to start focusing on changing each other, right? And uh, when 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 the only person that I can change is me, and so this is the thing: is I've got to focus on me, and I've got to get right with God. And I've got to let myself live in a right way that God wants me to live. And when I do that, I can't control whether my spouse, you can't control whether your spouse or or people you're in a relationship with are going to do right or not. The only person you control is you. And the problem is a lot of times they do wrong, so we try to do more wrong, right? We just kind of get in this whole crazy thing. But if I just try to focus, and I'm not always going to do right. That's the problem with me. I want to. I'm like, I go back to Romans 7 all the time. Here is me, the guy who wants to do right, but I keep doing wrong. I want to say the right things, and I keep saying dumb things, right? Uh, So it's just like, but so we're going to have to have grace mixed in with this, are we not? But hopefully if we do this right, we do grow. Sometimes it takes some pain for us to grow. Sometimes there's some areas we just don't know about, we haven't learned about, but one one, of the one, no pain, no gain. Sometimes it's by failure. Sometimes it's by messes. Sometimes it's by some horrible things that happen that if we react properly, God can rework that and make us stronger than we would have ever been had we not even gone that direction. You know what I'm saying is that, that God's grace is all powerful. So let's just talk about wedlock for a second and go to the verse Jesus went to. And it's in Genesis chapter 2. We didn't quite get to this last week. That's why I wanted to pick back up here. He said, then this is, this is the boundaries that God has for marriage uh, that he's laid out there. Genesis two twenty four. he says, Therefore shall a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We'll pick up the next verse about intimacy, intimacy in a moment. Wedlock. Now, wedlock. We talk about holy wedlock. Holy because God sanctioned it and set it apart. God created it. That's where the word holy comes from. Wedlock. Trivia time, it comes from an old English word, two words in the old English, wed, which means to pledge, and lock, which means to give or sacrifice an offering. So it's all about pledging to sacrifice ourselves to each other. Wedlock. Okay, that's very freeing, not lock as in binding, right? You got to understand the word. That's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. Now, as we go through this verse, leave father and mother, hold fast to wife, become one flesh. And well, let's just start there. So here we see these things. The first thing is severance. These are principles, and these aren't original with me. They've been taught for years. The first principle is severance. So this is basic. The first thing that has to happen is to leave father and mother. If you're not ready to leave father and mother... Financially, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, spiritually, you're not ready to get married. I mean, I'm just kind of looking around. I'm not looking for approval because this isn't me. Don't get upset at me. This is the Bible. You'll get upset. Get upset at the Lord God Almighty. Now, we're not to forsake our parents in terms of responsibility or in terms of loving them. But that we're no longer dependent upon them for the financial, emotional, emotional spiritual support. We're going to be, have to be able to stand on our own two feet. Parents, are we making it harder or easier for our children to leave when that time comes? Because you do realize that part of being a parent is preparing them for the time that you let go. And if you don't let go, you will cripple them. You'll cripple their marriages. You'll, create, you'll cripple their relationships if you don't. Now, notice that God said this to Adam and Eve, a couple who had no parents and as of yet no children. So he was saying this to teach the generations to follow, correct? It begins with realizing that parenthood is that process of taking a child from complete dependence. They can't survive without you, and they know nothing of our rules, and they're they're basically savages is what they are. And you've only got a space of about 18 to 20 years to tame that savage and to teach them and to help them go from complete dependence to complete independence. It's a big task. It's the biggest job. It's the biggest responsibility The most important ministry any of us have. Amen? Now, it's a process of feeding them responsibility. Every time we do things for them that they're capable of doing for themselves, we cripple them just a little bit. Uh, And sometimes the last thing to be broken is that psychological umbilical cord. Right? That umbilical cord has not been cut. So, this is it. First thing is you've got to be willing to leave. Very important. You're going to have problems if you don't do that. All right. Second thing is not just severance, but permanence. He talks about being joined uh, to hold fast, as it says here, to the wife, and the wife hold fast to the husband. The old King James used the word cleave. It literally, the Hebrew word means to be glued. Welded together so that we leave and we are glued, welded together. It begins with a commitment to one another before God. This is a covenant before God. So then, if we're glued together, all of a sudden, divorce is not an option. We have to take the position that there is, right? This is what we try to do. There's only one way out of this marriage. One of us has to die death do you part so so I think now someone said we're both just trying to outlive each other that was a joke by the way but if there's no way out we learn to work it out our society is like oh if it don't work just it's just like that's what we pick up that habit in dating you know we want to date someone that makes me feel the way I want to feel about me and does for me and makes me 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 and as soon as you don't start doing things me for me and make me feel special make me uh, have all the things, do all the things I want to do, then I'll dump you and find someone else. And then you do that and you do that. And the only problem is then finally you marry one, and then you, you, you've you got that habit already started. If everything's just not right, if everything, if things get too tough, if it's not the way me wants it, you you, you you try to find someone else. The only thing is grass isn't even greener, is it? You think it's going to be. What was it, Irma Bombeck that said the grass is always greener over the septic tank? Think about that. Here's what I find out. People today divorce over petty things. And I've seen this among us through 33 and three-fourths years or a half, whatever it is, is that there are people who have divorced over things that happily, the ones we would say are happily married, that they have gone through time and time again and overcome. You understand what I'm saying? People divorce over things that other couples experience too, but they overcome them and become stronger because of them. They work through them and work them out. And then they get the reapings of blessings from that. So there is permanence, severance, permanence, and then unity. They are one flesh. It's a unique term referring to the husband and the wife. Now, we are different. We're different. Isn't it amazing how God made us? I mean, physically, we're different. Think about it. Even nature testifies. We're made to go together. Right? Even nature tells you that physically. Have different parts. Don't look at me like that. Come on. We're made different mentally and emotionally. It's scientific fact to come along and finally and improve the difference that testosterone has on the brain as opposed to estrogen it makes our brains different okay besides our bodies different it, our way we think different so we're made differently but we're made to go together to create a unit so we're different physically and emotionally, but God puts it together in such a way that He calls it one flesh. Now, we're not one spirit. We're two individuals still, and, and, and you're, you don't lose your identity that way, but our souls mesh together. Physically, we come together, and then even spiritually, we are meshed together. It's powerful. The physical relationship's a product of the unity in the other areas. Usually... And not always. And the thing about it is, as far as the sex life is concerned, there can be physical problems and things. And as you grow old together, there are going to be a lot of things you're going to experience, right? It can be physical problems. It can be other problems. can create problems there. But sometimes it's problems in unity in the other areas that hampers unity in the physical area. Understand? It's just like growing old together. And and that's one thing. Clarissa said, you know, grow old with me, right? Remember we always said that. And now she's just saying, I just didn't know you'd... It happened so fast, right? She said, No, we wanted to grow old together. It's just like, but come on, this is happening way too fast. So, this is unity, one flesh. That's different than unanimity. Watch it. Doesn't mean you think exactly alike. That's unanimity. Doesn't mean you look at everything exactly alike. Um, that would be uniformity. It's unity where you have different thoughts, you have different backgrounds, you have different gifts, you have different opinions, but you put them together and work together toward the same goals. That brings strength. That's unity. But see, that's where the problem is. That's where the, the rub is. That's where the friction is. But if you turn the knife the right way, the friction sharpens instead of dulls. Right? As iron sharpens iron, the same thing goes with a couple. It depends on the angle of the blade. Iron sharpens iron. That means friction, and it can produce sharpness. Okay, there's one more thing. Oh, man. One more thing. I've I've, I've got to finish this up. So there's severance, permanence, unity, and then there's intimacy. And that's the next verse, verse 25. It says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. When I was a kid, I would always giggle when I heard that. Think about them being run around out there naked and all that. But it means more than what you think. This is the whole thing is Intimacy. And it's not just primarily talking about sex here. It can be expressed through it. But it says they were naked and not ashamed. Now follow me as we, as we go through this. Um, because this not only refers to physically being naked, but the whole person. True intimacy is when we can relate on the deeper soulish and spiritual levels. It's whenever we are totally take off the mask. It's just like... I, I take off all the walls. I take off all of these things. And, and you you get to see me as I really, really, really am. And, and, and so we trust each other with our most private parts physically. And we also trust each other with our most private parts emotionally and spiritually. Most vulnerable. We become vulnerable. That includes a lot of lust. I mean, a lot of trust. <laughs> We get lust and trust mixed up. It includes trust, not lust. It includes love. Because you're going to trust someone, you know, it's just like as you get older too, you really, you don't really want anyone else to actually see you naked. Um, but I'm talking about emotionally too, that you wouldn't want anyone else to see. But here's, here's the whole thing. Listen, your spouse is going to get to see the real you. They're going to see you at your worst. I have a worst. Does anybody else in here have a worst? Your spouse is going to get the full dose of that. Hopefully you can hide it from the rest of us. I really don't even want to see it. Right? But your spouse is going to have to live with it. But that's part of that relationship. That's part of that intimacy. That's part of that being naked and and unashamed together. Is that we expose the, the most private parts of ourselves and we trust each other with that we help each other with that okay so that's it that's part that's talking about so let's just mention the other flip side and that's not just wedlock but deadlock it's satan's trap that he gets us in and i'm going to tell you you may have been in and out of it there's sometimes in marriage we go in and out from wedlock to deadlock to wedlock. you know what i'm saying and it can happen don't get stuck in that trap Now, Adam and Eve, let's just finish up talking about them. They were in the garden. God gave away the very first bride. He made that statement we just read, and everything was great. They had complete harmony before sin. They were bare, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally as well. But then they sinned against God, and what happened? What's the first thing they did? They were filled with shame, and they hid from God. They covered up from each other. Did you see that? They hid from God and they covered up from each other. Notice that they had sinned with their mouths and their hands and their feet. But they didn't cover those, did they? They only covered the parts that were different from each other. Did you notice that? Thus began the great cover up. Now under normal conditions, like I said, we keep our negative parts covered up. But in the close quarters of marriage, it's going to reveal the truth to you about your maiden and the you're in the truth to you about yourself maybe in a totally open and vulnerable or naked relationship where there's true intimacy there's true vulnerability then you're free from shame they were ashamed and they hid and they covered up they hid from God and they covered up from each other but but in in the right relationship you can freely share that most hidden part of yourself in marriage God intended that we be totally bare before each other so that all the ways that we are unique And that we're different from each other can come to the forefront. And God works it together to make us each stronger and better. Sin changed our willingness to do that. In fact, when we see differences in our mate, we seek to change them. Sin changed all of that. Sin broke all of this apart. This is why we need Christ. This is why without Christ, you can only have so much affection and love for each other. You've got to have Christ to work in our hearts and to help us with this and to begin to undo what sin did. And that together, we do what it talks about in Genesis 5. he called their name man. He called their name the male and female. Adam and Eve he called their name Adam. They were such one that they could reflect the image of God that we can better reflect it together than we could ever do it apart. So, a successful marriage is not the result of marrying the right person or feeling the right feelings, feeling the right emotion to make me feel the way I want to feel, or even thinking, it helps to think the right thoughts, but it's not a result of just thinking the right thoughts, or I'm going to tell you, even praying the right prayers. You can do all of that and we still fail. Going along with those things, all those things can be great, but it's about not just praying the right prayers and thinking the right thoughts, but doing the right things, even when we don't feel like it, period. Obedience. Takes three to make a marriage. You've seen this before. Only God can make your marriage meaningful. This is the foundation for everything else. It's the dynamic of your personal relationship to him that frees you up to develop a dynamic relationship with your mate. It takes two. It can't all be on you. You can't force this. You're only responsible for you. You gotta let let God deal with you and your spouse. But this is it right here. Marriage takes three, doesn't it? So, and it takes both doing this. But sometimes we find ourselves like this We're kind of God's involved And we're, we're kind of in the same You know Picture All of us But I want to try to get closer That it doesn't happen But if I focus on Trying to get closer to God And if My wife Focuses on Mainly Trying to get closer to God And we both move closer to God Look at the space between us What happens you see what happens in the triangle as we both get closer to God. Without even know, thinking about it, we're going to be closer to each other. So a lot of times—not all the time—but a lot of times, if you're not right with your spouse, you might take a look at your rightness in your walk with God first. Yeah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.